What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Draft Show. I'm Nora Pinciotti. The draft, all three days of it, in the books. And I am so lucky to be here with Steven Ruiz and Sheila Kapadia. Steven, it's over. How are you feeling in this post-draft glow? I I feel great. What are we giving this draft, by the way? Two thumbs up, one thumbs up? This is a good draft. Two thumbs up. Fully two thumbs up. It was weird. It was chaotic. Um, It's funny. For a draft that I think, you know, we we did the thing that always happens where everybody's criticizing the draft class in the lead up and going, oh, well, wait till next year. The prospects are so much better. These prospects suck. I'm I'm going down the list and I like I like what a lot of teams did. There are a lot of teams that came out, filled some needs, got some interesting players. Um, I'm I'm not always happy shiny at, at this moment. And I think there's a lot of right. teams that can feel good about what they did. Sheila, what do you think about that? I think you're right. You know, for the exercise we're going to do on, on the show here with winners and losers, I, the losers generally come very easy to me. I like to, you know, act like I know it all and uh, <laughs> ma- ma- make fun of some of these teams. But honestly, it was just what you said. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. OK, I can see what they were doing here. And it was harder for, m- for me to identify uh, the teams that I really didn't like what they did. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I-, I guess good job by most teams is a way to, is one way to frame this year's draft. Wow, should we just end the podcast now? This is like yeah. the nicest we've ever been. Congratulations to everybody. They're all, all of winners. these prospects, you know, they're all winners. They're all going to be pro bowlers and hall of famers. Everybody's going to make the playoffs. It's going to be great. Cool. You can call it a day. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we are going to do winners and losers because we found it in our hearts to uh, be critical towards a few teams. Let's just kick it off. Uh, we'll start on a positive note since I think we're all feeling good. Steven, will you give us a first winner? Now, I I was hesitant after today's events because they drafted two kickers, but I'm picking the Patriots. And and honestly, I'm picking Bill Belichick. I think it's just a Bill Belichick type of draft. He gets his his long, rangy corner who has man coverage skills. Keon White's a big, oversized defensive end with some athleticism. 
They get uh, Mapu, the the linebacker safety hybrid. Like they, yeah. this is a this is a Bill Belichick draft, and then you get the two specialists. I think he is just having the time of his life right now. So Bill Belichick's my big winner. The Patriots, I like their draft. I think their defense has a chance to be really good, especially with these two guys they got in White and Gonzalez. I think they could step in right away and and fix some some needs for that team, some needs we saw last year. So Patriots. Can I blow up our order one one segment into this podcast? Yeah. I agree with you, Stephen. I like the draft for Bill. But one of my losers was Mac Jones. Because, like, I'm not here to criticize the Patriots draft. I I think Gonzalez might have been, you know, that's one of the top five best picks of of round one. Really, Mm. really like the Keon White pick as well. What they did defensively, like that, that's an exciting thing. They seem like absolutely Belichick picks up and down the board. I'm sure he's super excited. If you are Mac Jones, you've got to be sitting here right now, kind of thinking that what this draft class says to you is basically like, okay, you think the coaching was so bad last year? Well, you've got a new offensive coordinator and not a darn thing else. So let's see how much better you look. I mean, I think it's it's sort of like a, it's a subtle shock, but one of the shocks of this draft is that the New England Patriots in what was billed as one of the deepest and best tight end classes that we've seen lately, didn't take a tight end. They didn't take an offensive player until the fourth round where they took Jake Andrews, the center from Troy. That's a need. That's that's something that they're going to have to prepare for, um, depending on what happens with David Andrews in the future. But I'm a little shocked that they didn't use any higher picks than that to address their offensive needs. Um, and I'm sure that makes Bill Belichick really happy. And I don't think that they're bad picks. They're, they're good players that can help them. But I don't know that they should consider themselves in a good enough position to not be thinking a little bit more about their needs. And I, I don't think that they ended up doing that. I think that hurts Mac more than I think it hurts like yeah. Bill and the overall team. Um, but if I'm if I'm Mac Jones listening to Bill Belichick, do his his uh, press conference with New England media and say, Mark's been our quarterback for two years and and get a little bit testy about the questions about a potential trade and all of that. And then I watch what they did um, with their first few picks, their highest picks in this draft. I'm a little bit like, oof, you're not making it easy for me, man. Yeah, Mac's definitely a loser, but I think it's a positive sign that they're not going out of their way to make sure Mac Jones's life is is easier, like not are making him look good. I think th- there are some teams that would try to salvage what they have after a second year. The first round quarterback doesn't look so hot. I think you kind of double down sometimes and they didn't do that. And I mean, I personally think that they're done with Mac Jones. They reportedly tried to shop him. I think they would have drafted a quarterback if they were able to do that. So I don't know. I think it's a positive step in the in the right direction for New England, even if it isn't for Mac. They took a fourth round kicker. Yeah. From Maryland. <laughs> yeah. Good pick. <laughs> yeah, they spent, I, I guess, uh, in the sixth round, they took a couple uh, wide receivers there, but those are flyers. We all know those are lottery yeah. tickets. Maybe you get something from them. Maybe you don't. I mean, yeah, I do think if we zoom out and look at their offseason, what you're saying, Nora, is absolutely right. Like, this wasn't, th- th- this is sort of an admission that, like, 
we think the offense can be a lot better if we just get, if we just fix this dumb coaching situation that we had last year, put in a competent offensive coordinator, that's going to make us a lot better. I'm not like 100% convinced that that's going to happen, but I mean, look at the personnel. They added Juju Smith-Schuster this offseason. That's really the only starter unless you want to consider Riley Reef at right tackle, which is going to be a big question mark if he ends up starting. So they did not make wholesale personnel changes to an offense that was bad last year. And they're saying, all right, Bill O'Brien's here. We'll, we'll be better with that. And to what Steven started out with, and we'll win with defense and we'll win with special teams. And we won't be as dumb because they were a dumb team last year. They, you know, the coaching, yeah. they were, they were just a flat out dumb team. When you watch them last year, the mistakes they made. So I feel like they're thinking, correct some of those. And, uh, we'll be, well, I mean, they're still such a low ceiling team. Like what, what best case scenario, 10 wins. Like if everything goes their way, I don't know. That's kind of my initial impression. I don't know if we're saying that they're a team capable of winning 10 games, if not for some of these additions in the draft. I think like Christian Gonzalez raises the the ceiling of the defense a little bit more. It was already a good defense last year, but I really do. I think the changes are enough on offense, like not enough to contend, but enough to get back to where they were during Max rookie year. You replace Matt Patricia. That's going to be a net positive no matter what. I think bringing in Juju and then. Not having Patricia around to keep Kendrick Bourne in the doghouse is another positive. It's basically like you're getting a second receiver. <laughs> and then I, I like the flyers they took you on day three. Demario, du- that's fair. Demario Douglas is a good. I guarantee you in preseason, Demario Douglas is going to be getting hype from fantasy people. There's, he's going to be getting hype. He's going to make like a couple plays in preseason. Oh, in, in yes. The third and quarter. we all know how meaningful that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I take both of your points, though, in that I am putting this spin on it. That's like. You think the coaching was so bad? Well, prove it by having things get better without other more meaningful personnel additions. It might it might be more like everyone's just looking at it and going, okay, yeah, we cost ourselves a lot of points with the the Matt Patricia Joe Judge experiment, and we're feeling better about what this is gonna look like under Bill O'Brien, which I'm sure like that is a professional offensive coordinator they've got there, and I'm sure it's gonna make a world of difference. Uh, all right. I, I knocked us off track there a little bit, but when Steven went Patriots, I just had to respond. Um, Shield, do you want to give us your first winner? Yeah, I'll take the low hanging fruit and I guess the Homer, uh, Homer pick here and say that the Eagles are a winner. I mean, I've <laughs> listened, there have been drafts and off seasons before where I've crushed them for what they've done, but to be coming off of a Super Bowl and then to add Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, like, they they added guys who can help them right away. I mean, they lost a lot of players on defense in free agency. And uh, the, their class is going to be defined by whether Jalen Carter becomes like one of the top five defensive tackles in the NFL or whether he's out of the league by the end of his rookie contract. I mean, listen, there are a wide range of outcomes with Jalen Carter. I, I think we talked about it last week. I loved his film more than any other player in this draft class. I see the upside. I think he's going to be able to play uh, right away. And so uh, just stuff kind of fell in there, fell in their lap uh, a little bit in this draft. And then they make the trade for DeAndre Swift. I thought their yeah. running back room was very iffy going into uh, into the draft. I w- wasn't going to be surprised if they spent a day two pick on a running back. Instead, they make a trade. They pick up DeAndre Swift. And so uh, I like how they built that because now it's like, well, if Rashad Penny stays healthy, there's upside there. If, De- if DeAndre Swift is healthy and fits, there's uh, upside there. Like not all those things are going to work together where everyone's healthy. You're going to have.
have injuries, but I feel like the roster is in better shape than I thought it was going to be at the start of free agency when I was like, they're going to lose a lot of guys and like, it's just not going to look the same next year. Now you look around and you're like, man, they, you know, if they can get some rookies from last year to get, make that second year leap and then get some of these rookies to contribute, they're in good shape once again uh, in the NFC. It feels like in the blink of an eye, they got so much younger defensively. And I mean, I guess they did because they used high premium draft capital on young, potentially impactful defensive players like they so often do. Um, but it, it is. It's always sort of humbling when a, a contender can seem like they're restocking in a way that's that's really meaningful. Um, he just makes it look so easy. I mean, the Lions got a fourth rounder in 2025 um, and then a seventh rounder this year. Uh, and they swapped seventh rounders this year, I guess, in in the Swift trade. I mean, that's 2025. We could all be dead by that. Like, that's right. it, he just makes it look so simple. Um, so, you know, Howie Roseman crushing the draft. What else is new? Steven, what did you think about the Eagles? They're really good at doing at doing the thing where they draft someone that we've all heard of. And that's the easy way to become a draft winner. <laughs> they just do it every time. So and it's true. a common sense approach. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you draft Andre Dillard in the first round, but other times you get good value. And I think this is a draft that gives them a chance to get a lot of good value across the board. And like she'll said, like going into the offseason, I thought this was going to be a bad offseason for them. I think at this point, you have to say it was a good offseason for them, a, a potentially very good offseason. I think their running back room is way better than it was a year ago. I mean, there's some like you you need Swift to stay healthy. You need Penny to stay healthy. Both of those guys have had a, had problems doing that. But if those guys are healthy, that's a, another layer to this offense that you didn't have to worry about last year. And if, if everything works out, this team might be even better than last year, which is crazy to think because of how good they were. I mean, their running game seems like it has a real, real chance to be better than it was last year, which is equally sort of crazy to think about. Yeah, I think those backs have more upside than Miles Sanders if they're able uh, to stay on the field. And to Steven's point, Howie hasn't always done this. I mean, he has a long draft history and there have been hits and misses and there have been years where you go, wait, what What did they just do? It really feels like since that collapse in 2020, uh, the last few years here, it's just been like, let's not uh, outsmart ourselves. Let's not rely on one thing. Let's trust our scouts. Like if these are the best players uh, from the best programs and our scouts like them and our coaches like them, let's just go ahead uh, and pick them and not to worry about too many other things. So I actually feel like they've like you said, Stephen, it's almost a simplified approach. Like if you look at the, you know, the draft consensus boards that are out there, like Arif Hassan has, has one. I always like looking at those, not that they're perfect. You know, the NFL knows more uh, than the public knows. But if you just kind of look at that, I mean, you know, Jalen Carter, the number three player, they get him at nine. Nolan Smith, the number 18 player, they get him at 30. Keely Ringo, the number 38 player, they get him at 105. And so it's just like, these guys were good in college. Let's not worry too much about the projection. Let's let's trust our coaches to uh, coach them up and, and trust our locker room to make sure everyone's good from kind of a character makeup perspective and go from there. So, yeah, I think it worked out better than uh, Eagles fans could have envisioned uh, when the season's offseason started. Can I say one thing that I have just like absolutely no business speculating on? Sure. Yeah, that that's what we're here for, honestly. I... <laughs> I've heard a lot of it, it seems like a big talking point about 
Jalen Carter, who's a fabulous player, um, but who comes with some concerns as a player, has to do with the number of Georgia players on the team. And there's going to be such a support system and it's not up to them. It's the responsibility of the team. But it's great that he's going to know all of those guys. And and that's going to be really meaningful as they try to make sure that, you know, his story turns out well in Philadelphia. And look, who knows, right? Lots of people who have major screw ups in their lives is when they're really young end up being great, wonderful, productive citizens. And this could all be awesome. I'm not sure we should take it as an automatic bonus that all of those Georgia guys are there as far as that goes. Like it, that right. is where he had problems. I, I'm, I'm, I don't get that one to one. That's not my predicting anything. Certainly, I know very little about this situation relative to Jalen himself, relative to the Eagles. I just, I just raised my eyebrows a little bit when it's like, well, all of the Georgia players who he knows will make this work out well, which doesn't really make yeah. sense. I think that's yeah. a good point. I think we tend to try to like connect those dots when we're explaining draft picks, and it, we. Like, that is a perfect example. Like like you said, those guys were there. That was the environment he was in when he made the mistakes. I don't think it's going to make any difference. It's going to be up to him. It's going to be up to whatever help the Eagles get him. I think the Eagles will try to provide him with help. But that's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter if Kobe Dean's, like, two lockers down from him. If he's going to make a mistake, he's going to make a mistake either way. Well, and, some like, sometimes a fresh start is sort of meaningful. Right. Yeah. Like and and if you're around the people who know you in, in one way in one environment, maybe it's harder to change. I think the the only thing we really can say here is we don't know. But yes, it does seem a little bit weird to be like, Nicobe Dean can solve this because yeah. that is not his job. But hopefully it'll all be fine. Yeah, Howie Roseman said what you made your point, actually, Nora. I think he was asked about it and he's like, well, I mean, he didn't say it in those exact terms, but he was basically like, it's going to be up to Jalen Carter. Like, those guys have enough to worry about. I mean, N'Kobe Dean didn't get on the field last year. Jordan Davis didn't do anything for the Eagles uh, last year. Like, you see all the, uh, you know, Georgia stuff going around. It's like, did anyone notice that the two Georgia guys they drafted last year did absolutely nothing <laughs> uh, in their rookie season? So they need those guys to step up, too. So they've got a lot uh, to worry about. And even Keely Ringo, like they draft Keely Ringo. He was obviously on that Georgia team, but uh, some of the reporting, I don't know if it was Albert Breer or I forget who was saying it was that there were some character makeup issues were part of the reason why he fell. So, yeah, uh, you know, you can think um, some of those guys are great guys and N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith, especially by all accounts, are like these sort of, you know, these leaders, these guys you want in the locker room. But in the end, uh, it's it's up to the individual and the decisions he makes and uh, the path he goes down. So I, I think that absolutely is a good point. I think that George, that point about like Georgia players for the Eagles, they they haven't really hit yet. So there's not like proof of concept that it's going to work out is a good point. And it like explains the flaw in naming draft winners like right after it happens. Because like I said, we just do it based on the people we've heard of. And no one knows if this is going to work out or if the strategy is sound of just drafting a bunch of Georgia players. It makes sense on paper, but so far it hasn't it. it we haven't seen any results from it yet. So I, I still think the jury's out. I, I, I think we could say right now that they're winners, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to look back at this draft and be like, whoa, you remember what the Eagles did? That was a historic class. Because usually it doesn't work out that way. Usually we're wrong. Yeah, especially when we look <laughs> at, especially it, it goes every year when we see a guy slipping and we all say it was a steal. It's like, 
you know, we always have to operate under the NFL teams. Not, not I, I never want to give NFL teams the benefit of the doubt, but for the draft, they have more information than we have. And right. so like, I liked, you know, Nolan Smith. I liked Jalen Carter a lot. The Seattle Seahawks, who generally are willing to choose talent over any other issues at number five and could have used a player like Jalen Carter. Rather, they went with Devon yeah. Witherspoon. Like, so like, you got to keep yeah. that stuff in mind. You know, Nolan Smith, uh, the Jets went with Will McDonald over no, like other teams went, went other avenues and he fell to 30. So I think it's always good to uh, kind of keep keep those things in mind. All right, I'll close this out for the first round of winners. Um, I had the wide receivers. I had the first round wide receivers. And I think this was considered, you know, a not so great receiver class. In in a lot of ways that held out, there were four taken in the first round. Um, you got to go back to the 2019 year with Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry, uh, where fewer than five got taken. I think there were six in the first round last year. Um add in the fact that of those four, nobody went before pick 20 relative to recently past draft classes. That is the NFL valuing these guys less than, than some recent years. But to Steven's point that we got to remember that, that we may think back differently on some of these things in a few years. I do think there's a decent chance that we end up seeing this wide receiver class favorably just because I really like all the fits. Um, starting at 20 with Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Seahawks. We, we talked about that on Thursday, but just a perfect fit. Incredible route runner. Awesome over the middle. Amazing short and intermediate stuff. That's going to be great with Gino. Great with Shane Waldron. Fits in really well with DK Metcalf on the outside. You can have Tyler Lockett as, as the, the Z, use the speed, play a little inside out. Um, and, and JSN can take some of the more physical stuff over the middle. Um, 21. Chargers, Quentin Johnson, big playmaker for Justin Herbert. If there was one of these that I quibbled with a little bit, it would be this pick, not because I don't like Johnson in LA, um, but just because I felt like the one thing they needed more than anything was speed. But they did take another TCU receiver, um, Darius Davis in the fourth round, who, look, I'm not going to tell you that a, a fourth rounder He's 5'8", 165. Like, I, I'm I'm not going to say that, like, this guy is going to change the Chargers offense. But Darius runs a 4-3. So I'm going to give a little bit of credit for at least understanding the assignment there. And, and I like what they did at receiver overall. Um, Zay Flowers to the Ravens. We've talked about no notes. Can't wait to see this offense. Flowers, I think, can be really explosive with Lamar. And then Jordan Addison to the Vikings is is awesome. He's so quick. He's so sudden. He gets open so fast. I am a little nervous to say this, but I actually think that between him and Justin Jefferson, Kirk might not actually be able to find it in himself to check down. Like he might actually be forced <laughs> to not do that. Um, but I love that. He'll find a way. He gets He'll a find a way. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but it's getting harder. It's getting harder, especially because, you know, Justin Jefferson takes so many double teams. Um, so Jordan Addison's going to be singled and he gets open so easily. I think that's going to be an awesome, awesome fit. That was everyone who went, went in the first round. Um, I'm sure some are going to hit better than others. That's how it always works. Probably a couple of those guys will have health issues. Like, who knows? But right now, I just, I, I don't know. I have a little bit of a feeling that we will end up looking back at this class as, as better than 
better than prognosticated just because I think everybody landed in a decent spot. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, that was definitely the case in 2019, the draft we referenced. Like, we got DK Metcalf, we got AJ Brown in this, on the second day. Hollywood Brown has, has been a good player. I, I really like the fact that teams didn't reach for any of these receivers either. I don't, I didn't feel like any of these were real reaches, especially in the first round. Zay Flowers is my favorite fit. The more I think about it, the more I like that pick. I, I just think he fits in so well with what they've added to that receiving core. And I think he's a Hollywood Brown replacement, which they really hadn't done. They didn't have that guy that could threaten defenses deep. And that's such a, a key thing to have because it's a deterrent from loading the box up against Lamar. And if you can do that, then that makes the run game a little easier to defend. And if you don't have dudes on the outside, you just have pawns instead of like queens and rooks and stuff. It's hard to craft an offense out of that. Now I think the Ravens, I, I we talked about it on Thursday, but I, I, I want to reiterate it. This offense is like in a good spot right now, a good spot, the best spot it's been since Lamar's gotten there. And I include 2019 in there. Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think they're, they'll be as good, obviously, as as 2019. But when you just look at the supporting cast and the change at offensive coordinator, which, was, you know, it's for a while in the offseason, it went under the radar. That's what everyone had been begging for for the last couple of years. They make the change. They get an exciting offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin, but then no one knew if Lamar was actually going to be there. So, yeah, between uh, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, I mean, guys have to stay healthy. Uh, but J.K. Dobbins is another year uh, removed and should be healthy and the run game's always going to be good with Lamar. So, uh it'll it, it, it is a much different feeling or should be a much different feeling if you're a Ravens fan now than like compare this to like what 10 days ago, 2 weeks <laughs> ago. Uh it, it, it's night and day. So, yeah, now all of a sudden they they could be a fun team once again. They completely flipped their vibe. It's 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 really impressive. A week ago, this was like yikes. Now everything seems great in Ravens land. I'm sh- it's 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 a job well done. Um, Shield, did you have a favorite receiver fit in the first round? Yeah, I, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the one where I'm just like I liked him the best, and I like that fit the best. And and Gino, talk you know we talked about Lamar's in a good spot. Gino's in a great spot there. They don't draft a quarterback. Uh, they have two second year tackles who theoretically should be better. Uh, they have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, I, I don't want to go full that they're a big sleeper in the NFC just yet. I'll save those takes for late July, August and see where I settle. But uh, yeah, that was the one that I was just like, man, I, I think he's going to be a like fantastic uh, fit there and a fantastic player for them for years to come. Also, can you be a sleeper in the NFC this year? Like, if you're a sleeper in this year's NFC, yeah, you're, you're basically dead. Yeah. Yeah, Arizona. it's true. <laughs> All right, should we do a round of losers? Uh, yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Steven, you want to kick us off? Yeah, speaking of uh, the vibes totally shifting from 10 days ago, I'd say in Detroit, that's where we're at. And I know they had a bounce back, a bit of a bounce back day on day two, getting Brian Branch, who I thought was like the saving grace of the class. I wasn't a big fan of Laporta that I thought they reached a little on the tight end. But this it just seems like this was a draft where they're like, yes, we are fully committed to being like a Dan Campbell style football team. And I just think there's a ceiling on that. I think there's a ceiling on drafting players where they draft them, like drafting a running back in the first round, drafting an off ball linebacker in the first round a tight end and and a safety on, on day two, all four of those guys, like those are positions that you don't want to overpay for. So even if they hit and you give them a big second contract, that's not necessarily a good value. It's really hard to see or envision this draft 
being one that we look back at, at and, and we're like, oh, that changed the direction of the franchise. And I really think like Detroit doesn't have where they're at in their rebuild. If you can even call that, I think they're out of the rebuild at this point. I don't think they're going to be drafting with this capital again. Like the, the Matthew Stafford capital is done now. You're going to be winning more games, presumably. So you're going to be drafting at the bottom of rounds. Like this was the draft where you could get some more premium players to add to the roster. And I don't even think they gave them a, sh- a chance to do that because like if Gibbs hits, if Jameer Gibbs hits, like what what is that? You get three good years of, of running back play and then you're not going to pay them after that, hopefully. So I... Detroit, I, I really think they had a bad draft. I, I get that they were sticking to their board and they have their convictions about these players and the type of players they want, but I really think they blocked themselves into a ceiling that isn't where they're going to want to be in two years. I think they're going to want to be competing for Super Bowls, and I just don't see it with this roster at this point. Yeah, I mean, also, like, every team loves to say that they stick to their board and they trust their board their board is influenced by what they think other teams are going to do, or they use that information. And and teams love to pretend that they don't when they reach on players. But even if some of the, the picks are okay, it's overall bad process if you're taking guys who you could probably get with your later picks, who nobody else is, is going to take. And overall, okay, if you don't do that, maybe you miss out on somebody. But like, you're not willing to see if Jack Campbell sticks around to try to get someone who's got a little bit more juice. Like, I, I, I don't want to keep hammering them for the same thing. Like, because we certainly did on Thursday. But it's, it's not. It's just not good strategy. Love that they got Brian Branch. I think it's smart for them to pick up a pick up a quarterback, and they were able to get Hendon Hooker in the third round. That's that's at that point, that's good value. Um, but in general. Yeah, I it, it's it's the positional value and then even just the individual players, both with Gibbs and Campbell. I'm not sure either one of those is a, is a consistent three down player. Like right, yeah. it's not just the positions they play. I'm not sure they're going to be able to even if they hit right, like even if they're NFL ready immediately and blah, 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 blah. The roles those guys are going to be in. I don't know that you're getting, you know, Gibbs is pretty iffy in pass protection. Like I, I don't you're not going to be able to have them on the field enough to justify the pick in addition to the concerns about the positions they play not justifying the pick given how high they were. So it's all the nerd stuff. I get it. But right, it's yeah. not a good way to build a team. Even the hooker pick, like I, I think it is good value to get a quarterback there, but I just don't like the fit at all. He has so much to learn in that offense. Like you're going to an under center offense a pro-style offense from what he came from at Tennessee. He's already behind the eight ball in terms of age. He's got the ACL injury he's still coming back from. He's not going to play behind Jared. Like, Jared Goff is go- going to play. I-, I don't see that pick even working out for them. And then they they reached on day three. They re- I think it was, yeah, it was today. They reached on a William & Mary tackle who, like, wasn't even on uh, the consensus big board. It was another example of them reaching for uh, a guy that fits into Dan Campbell's system. It's a, the tackle is a nasty run blocker. Stop me if you've heard that before. So I, I think it's another example of what they did on day one. When they went into the draft, you know, like you said, six and 18, you're thinking this was probably about the fourth best team in the NFC at the end of last year. Man, you add somebody at six and 18, like they were, it's exactly what you said, Stephen. the opinion, like 
we could be talking right now about how watch out for the Lions. Man, they just got these two difference making. And I don't, I'm not going to go through and say, well, it would have been this guy and this guy because we all know there's uncertainty in the draft. And I don't even hate these players like Jameer Giggs, right. Big Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, Hendon Hooker in the third. Like, I think those are fine players, but it's just like it, it, it feels it leaves me wanting more and to, to what you were saying, Nora, the idea of reading the draft board. And that is a huge part of the draft. I mean, we just talked about the Eagles. They were thinking, how high do we have to trade up to get Jalen Carter? Like that is a strength of Howie Roseman, kind of knowing how the board is going to fall. How far do we have to move to get the player? Should we move back? Will the player still be there? You have to read those things. And you can, I mean, Jameer Gibbs is not, uh, you know, a bell cow back even. He hasn't been a bell cow back. He's a fun player. Uh, he'll probably be fun to watch in their offense next year. But to your point, in three years from now, when we say, did they maximize the value, the upside uh, of the picks they had in the first round? The answer is probably uh, is probably going to be no there. So it just feels like a missed opportunity when you zoom out and look at what they had in terms of draft capital going in and the players they ended up with. Shill, you want to keep us going with another loser? Yeah, I'm debating between two losers here. Let's go with the... Houston Texans uh, might surprise some. You say, what are you talking about? They got CJ Stroud and Will Anderson. CJ Stroud, I'm fine with. I think that that like Will Anderson trade, and I like Will Anderson a lot. I think he's going to be really good. But I think that trade has a chance to go down as one that we're talking about for years to come in terms of what they gave up. And, and let me explain what I mean. They gave up 12, 33, a 2024 first, and a 2024 third for Will Anderson and a fourth round pick. Like just how many non quarterbacks in the NFL would be worth just that draft capital? Like you can name the best players in the NFL and teams to give up, to give that up would probably be like, uh, you know, I don't know, hesitant. And so now you add the uncertainty of the draft in here. And we all like Will Anderson, probably a lot of people like Will Anderson, but uh, the number one rule of my, the offseason for me is don't fall in love. There, there should be no player where you're like, I have to have him. We will do whatever it takes to get him, whether it's trade, free agency, the draft or whatever. And I just feel like they fell in love with Will Anderson. They probably at some point were like, we'll just stay uh, at two and take him. And then they're like, no, can we really come out of this without a quarterback? And then they panic a little bit and say, well, take the quarterback and then we'll go back up and at Willie Anderson and everyone's happy. You know who's not going to be happy? The Texans next year because they gave up their uh, future first and they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL in 2023. I mean, I was just looking at like over under win totals. They're at five and a half. That's tied for the lowest of any team in the NFL. You know who's coming out of college next year? And I know, again, we say this every year, Caleb Williams. You know who's the closest thing to Patrick Mahomes we've seen in college football? Caleb Williams, and you just <laughs> gave away your 2024 first round pick. Like, that's going to be so valuable. Even if you loved CJ Stroud, if you had the first pick in the draft next year, you know what you could get for the first pick in the draft next year? Amazing. Or if CJ Stroud's, hey, he's okay, rookie year, guess what? You have a Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray situation. You can move on from CJ Stroud and take this guy who, who it feels like is as sure of a thing as we've seen in the league in a long time. So I like Stroud. I like Will Anderson. I like D'Amico Ryans, but I have a lot of questions about how that organization makes decisions. And I think this time next year, we're just going to be going, I can't believe the Texans gave up their first round pick in 2024. So that's why I have them as a loser. Can I defend the trade? I, I don't yeah. think it was a good trade, but let me try to like spin Steven, it. Steven I, okay. fell in love. 
What a sucker. I think you could I think you could make the argument that the trade was for CJ Stroud. Like they could have taken Will Anderson. And then if if we're talking about a trade up for a quarterback, we wouldn't be complaining. Like it doesn't really matter what order the picks were in. They traded up so they could draft CJ Stroud and Will Anderson. They didn't tra- trade up to draft Will Anderson, in my opinion. That's the one way I would spin it if I'm the Texans. Now, if Stroud becomes a great player, then we don't, I don't think we'll care about the trade. Uh, so, but there was also know. multiple choice C. Just take Stroud and chill the freak out and go pick at 12. Or That's something. a good yes. point. <laughs> you know, yeah. But I hear what you're saying. If it was for a quarterback, then you, then you can always justify it because the upside is that high. But it's like they didn't, it, I, I, it w- that's not what it was. They had the quarterback in pocket, and then you know you you make the move for Will Anderson. Although I hear what you're saying. The other thing is, I I normally would agree, but I I'm not sure we won't remember this if the Texans are really really bad, because if the if if what they sent away ends up a really high pick, and God forbid, the number one overall pick next year. I think we're going to talk constantly about what a mistake this was. I don't care if CJ Stroud is the next Tom Brady. Like, we're going to talk about it all the time. I I don't know. I feel like if Stroud is good, we're not even thinking about it. I really don't think we're thinking. I don't. I personally would not have traded up for CJ Stroud. I don't think he's the type of player that you make that move up the board for. But let's just say he becomes a franchise quarterback. I really don't think we're talking about this next year. I and especially if Will Anderson is good too. Well, Anderson is good too, which I think he's going to be. And CJ Stroud is what people think he's going to be. Not necessarily me. But if that happens, I, I really don't think we're talking about this trade but ever like, again. We're like, that was a smart trade that got two franchise players. The, the wide yeah, receivers but that's the on this team are Nico Collins, Noah Brown, John Metchie, Amari Roger, like Robert Woods. CJ Stroud could be a very good prospect and get very good coaching. And everything that we know about football means that tells us that the ceiling of this team is pretty low. It's it's low enough given the state of this roster that we're probably not next year going to be looking at that pick and looking at this team and looking at CJ Stroud and being like, oh my gosh, they got the best quarterback. Like, what a win. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a, a bad pick, but their roster is just not in a place where they're they're going to be a super competitive team barring CJ Stroud turning out to be like the second coming of whatever. So we're probably going to have those muted views of how successful what they did this year was. And if they end up costing themselves something really, really significant, which because of the aforementioned roster concerns, they probably will. I just, I, I don't, I don't feel great about it. If we find out at some point that this was basically the product of D'Amico Ryan's being like, look, I'm happy to have my long-term commitment to be the coach here, but uh, I don't know if you saw my, the defensive line that I was working with. And I don't know if you're seeing what's going on here. I want Will Anderson and you're going to make that happen for me. Like fine, but it, it, it again is just like who's driving the bus here and why are we behaving this way? You do need like those blue chip, like it's a good point. Like you need that defensive line to run that style of defense. Like that is something that has been proven throughout the history of that defense being run. You, if you're going to play a lot of zone coverage, you need a pass rush. So I think that was, they saw Will Anderson as a blue chip 
prospect, maybe the best player in the draft. So I, that's that's my only that's my defense. I'm not saying it was a good draft. I'm not saying it was a good trade. That's my defense. I can rationalize it. Yeah, I like Anderson, and but what you said earlier, like you might, you're like they might get to you know a, like whatever a Hall of Fame player. That's kind of the bar. Like he has to if he turns into T.J. Watt and C.J. Stroud is a franchise quarterback, then that is the scenario where maybe we're not talking about that. But then to Nora's point, we might still be talking about it because guess what? The rest of the roster sucks. So it's like you could have had C.J. Stroud, you could have sat there at twelve, you could have traded back with the Steelers, and you would have, and you could have still got uh, Christian Gonzalez, a blue chip cornerback to pair with Derek Stingley. You would still have your thirty third pick. You would still have your first round and your third round pick next year. Like you're not going anywhere next year. Like this is <laughs> earliest we're talking about twenty twenty five. So we'll see. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. And again, let me emphasize for the fiftieth time. I love. I I think Will Anderson is going to be awesome. I mean, his resume is as I thought. Any knocks on him were ridiculous. I think he's going to be a great player. But my goodness, I think I have questions about the the process, and I think they're going to be regretting that trade in a big, big way. We can all be happy that they won't get a chance to ruin Caleb Williams. Let's all be happy. About that's it. true. Caleb Williams right, won't be going point. to the Texans, which is a win for the. Leagues. I like that spin. Yeah, that's a positive. Winner, Caleb Williams. <laughs> It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I gave my first loser with the Mac Jones thing. So let's let's loop back around and be nice to people again. Steven, winner number two. I'm going to go with Arizona, the the team that traded oh. with Houston. Uh, and it's not necessarily about the the class they're bringing in. I like Paris Johnson. I like Ojolari. I think Garrett Williams could be a, a, a really good value. He's coming off a torn ACL. He's got some some talent. But they picked up six picks in next year, in the first two days of next year's draft. Possibly six top 100 players. Two of them are from the Texans, too. So these could be like top 75. Yeah, how could they do five... that, Steven? <laughs> no comment. But it was a great, it was a good, it was a good draft for them. They didn't make a lot of picks, which is probably a good thing because I don't, I don't trust this front office to make picks unless Kyler Murray's behind it. But that much draft capital, they're going to be winners next year, no matter what they do. They're going to be winners next year. And they set themselves up for that this year by fleecing the Texans, maybe. Dog in the in the draft room too, which I really liked. I think it was Michael Bidwell's dog. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully around, the yeah. dog. Does, <laughs> hopefully the dog doesn't have to pay for his own food. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know they take <laughs> care of him uh, in that way. Uh, well, this that that actually leads to my uh, if we're having a Cardinals conversation, this leads to my loser. My loser is not the Cardinals. I think my loser is anyone who owns the Kyler Murray Cardinals jersey because of what. Steven just said, I mean, I don't know how many more games Kyler Murray is starting for the Arizona Cardinals. To Steven's point, they trade for the Texans 2024 first round pick. You know how I told you that the Texans over under was five and a half wins for this year. And that was tied for the lowest in the NFL. 
it was tied with the Arizona Cardinals. They have two huge bites at the apple here to land a franchise quarterback in 2024. And I think they were smart to, to exactly what you said, to stock up next year. They still got a left tackle. You still got a premium position um, in the first round, but you've got these picks for next year. And so uh, I feel like they are in a in a great spot if they're thinking like big time uh, rebuild here, which they should be thinking that way. And I, I think they are thinking that way. Like, I think they're going to be in the driver's seat in next year's draft. And it's hard for me sitting here on April 29th to think that if they get the first or second pick, they'll be like, we still love Kyler Murray, uh, given the whole contract and the homework and all that in the new regime. We love Kyler Murray. We're loyal to him. We're going to pass on Caleb Williams and maybe uh, Drake May next year. Like That seems like an unlikely scenario for 2024. So then all the, you know, the dominoes get going and it's like, well, where's Kyler Murray going to be playing in 2024? And we get to have a, a lot of content and a lot of fun thinking about where he could be traded uh, next season. But yeah, I, I, that, that thought crossed my mind when I'm like, wait, they have their own first round pick and the Texans first round pick in 2024. The, the, you know, Ky Kyler, depending on when he comes back from injury this year, uh, could be kind of playing his last games as a Cardinal. And and let's say they get, let's say the Cardinals and the Texans are the two worst teams in the league next year, and they get that number one pick, and they're able to shop that second pick, and it's Drake May is what the teams are going to be trading for. They're go going to replenish their draft capital in one move, and then if they do trade Kyler Murray, which is feasible next year, they could they would save five point six million if they trade him. They would have to take a forty six million dollar dead cap hit but that's that's doable especially where they're at they're not going to need cap space they don't have a good roster they don't have players to sign so like i think they're just in the perfect spot now and i would if i'm them i don't even hesitate to move on from kyler because that, that's more draft capital coming back because kyler's going to fetch a pretty good haul this team is set up to be drafting at the top of the draft for like the next three years maybe Except for yeah the fact that i agree kyler making the picks our guy that's the problem <laughs> He can he's still be gonna... the GM while he's like the quarterback of the another team. Let me be clear. I don't trust the card. I trust. I don't trust the Cardinals to not screw this up. Uh, I think they're, you know, a bit of a train wreck of an organization from the top down. And I don't, and I don't trust their, uh, I don't know that Jonathan Gannon is going to be a great coach for them either. However, they are the GM did a good job. Monty Austin for other than calling Gannon and tampering and losing a pick. If you're just looking at what he did in these three days in the draft, uh, I do think he did. He did a good job. And uh, it's kind of a promising start where they realize this isn't going to be a quick fix. Uh, let's make moves to set our, ourselves up. And they are set up for that now. Did we ever totally figure out what happened there with the tampering thing? He just he he called Gannon too early. Yeah. On his, he called him on his cell phone. He called Gannon after the NFC Championship game where you're not allowed to uh. contact uh, candidates. Now, they said it was self-reported. I have a strong, you know, I don't think uh, phone calls go into that building without Howie Roseman knowing who's calling. So I don't know. Howie Roseman, he, he can be a bit of a bulldog and he likes his draft capital. And I don't know if he was the one who was like, listen, we're getting a pick out of you one way or the other. Uh, but but yeah, as, as Solak said, Imagine tampering for Jonathan Gannon. I'll I'll leave it at that. It's, I didn't have a high uh, high opinion of J Jonathan Gannon, but it's it's kind of gone downhill. The videos, I just got to say, the clips I've seen of him, the vibes are off. That's all. I'll, I'll leave it at. The vibes are off. He's too pew, excitable. Pew, pew pew. Yeah, there's that that one that has gone around when he's talk 
who was he talking to a wide receiver about plays downfield and he just went up to him and goes pew 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 pew, pew like pew, we're gonna be like we're gonna yeah <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that one because it gives me some material to work with on Fox. It's, it's like it's like if Kendall Roy didn't grow up rich. Like that's what he is. He's like a succession <laughs> character who doesn't have money. We will you know, see. I am not bullish. He's doing pretty well for himself as an himself as an NFL head coach. But um, given what we've learned about the the frugality of the Cardinals organization lately, maybe not. Gannon yeah. is funny. Gannon's good for some. They would be a good. He's good for content. Hard knocks yet? No, not yet. They just did a whole thing, so it's probably not that. But like, yeah, it seems like it's not going over well, very well with you guys. But I'm in favor of more Jonathan Gannon content. It's just he's in he's in the run for this year's Nathaniel. This year's uh, Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> Now that should be a award, like the NBA announced all those new awards this year. Uh, I would be in favor of that. The Nathaniel I'll Hackett award, out. Yeah, the Nathaniel yeah. Hackett award for <laughs> reputational damage. Stephen, that's a column. I don't like. I try not to give people <laughs> column ideas, but I would. I would absolutely read that. Yes, the Ruiz. Although, and you although I do have to say, the, Nick Sirianni would have won the award, and that's worked out well for Philadelphia. So there you go. You, know, you never, know. never know. It's early. All right. I'm now laughing. I was laughing too hard, and now I have absolutely no idea where on this podcast we are. Do I owe you guys a winner? Yeah. Is that what's do. happening? All right. I can always count on you, Steven. I have the Colts. Um, I thought the Colts had an awesome draft. Maybe the the draft that I like the most out of anyone. Don't hold me to that. But like the the Colts, they had maybe the most exciting pick of the whole thing in Anthony Richardson. Um that we talked about a ton after night one, but still awesome. They're clearly pumped. Jim Mercer is going around telling everyone who will listen that they would have taken him at number one if they'd had the pick, which cool. You go big dog. I don't know what, like they didn't. So, but that's great that they like him that much. I like him a lot. So I think that's a great pick. Um, but they did a few other things later on in the draft that I think are really cool and really interesting. Uh, just reshaping their roster in ways that make a lot of sense. They got considerably bigger and more physical at the corner positions. So um, they took Julius Brents from Kansas State in the second round, number 44. He seems like he could be a, a real potential replacement for Steph Gilmore. It's just big, fast, athletic. Every They took three corners. They're all like 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds. They took Darius Rush in the fifth and Jalen Jones in the seventh. And that makes total sense to me that they would want to get big press guys at corner, rethink those roles in Gus Bradley's defense, um, do it a little bit more in the Legion of Boom style. So I like those picks. Um, and I just like the idea behind it that they want guys who can can press and be physical in those roles. Um, at wide receiver, they also seem to to do a little bit of a, a change in prototyping. Um, they got Josh Downs in the third round, who's a different type of um, different body type for them. Smaller, not the fastest, but he's not like the Michael Pittman's, the sort of like big plotting guys that they've often gone after. And I think we're seeing the Steichen influence in how they want to build the team, which to me, because I haven't always agreed with 
some of Chris Ballard's preferences, um, particularly at receiver. I think that's really, really good to see. They apparently loved downs. I think Ballard said they were trying to trade up for him um, for a few picks and then he just fell to them. So that's great. And Reggie Wayne apparently is like obsessed with him. So all sorts of good vibes there. They also got um, Evan Hull in the fifth round, who's a pass catching running back from Northwestern and downs and Hull share something in common, which is that they both have just really, really, really good hands which I think as they try to bring Anthony Richardson along and coach him up in those short and intermediate areas where his accuracy has been a question mark, having those guys who are great contested catch guys, low, low drop rate guys running those routes and and working in that part of the field, that's a big win. Um, and then they took Will Mallory from Florida tight end in the fifth round, which I think was just like, look, this is a deep tight end class. Who knows? But um, I like what they did in in adding to who they have for Richardson to catch um, to catch Richardson's passes. And then the last thing that they did that I thought was great was just get athletes um, pretty much across the board. Blake Freeland, BYU tackle, super, super athletic. Richardson, obviously. Brent's is super athletic. Downs is super athletic. Like every basically every pick. Um, if you look up the like RAS score, which is out of 10, um, of their sort of like high value picks down scored an 8.9 out of 10. And that's like the lowest. So uh, that's a thing that I always think is a good idea is just like get athletes in the draft. Um, yeah. I'm I'm not trying to tell you that like the fourth and fifth and sixth rounders are, are going to go be impact players right away or even at all. But the strategy just feels really sound. And I think they got a lot of really interesting players who are good fits. And there weren't a lot of reaches. I think that's the, the best way to have a good draft is not to reach. And I think Chris Ballard has kind of maybe he thinks too highly of himself as a, a scout and he has reached in the past on some guys. But I don't think that was the case here. And uh, it's a big class, 12 players, 12 picks, a bunch of traits. Like some of these guys are going to work out. And I think we're yeah. going to look back at this as a good class. No, but like they they threw a lot of darts at the dartboard. One of them is going to hit a bullseye or a couple of them. And then they get the best quarterback in the, the class, in my opinion. And they didn't have to reach for him. They didn't have to trade any picks for him. They kept their whole class. It was a really good draft for them. It could have been ruined, though. Did you see the tweet before day two when... Uh, Ursay was like, should we uh, draft? What do you guys think about drafting Will Levis doing a Steve Young, well, Joe Montana he, thing? Then he said that if um, if Richardson had been off the board, they were going to draft Will Levis, which I don't know. Maybe he's just being nice to Will Levis, but that also seems like something that they would have considered doing. So good job, Colts. It all worked out. It could have been worse. It was really great. Good draft. Yeah, it's class. like if you... <laughs> if you had somebody with no like background and didn't even know what this was and you were just like draft for vo- draft for volume and draft athletes like you probably would end up in the middle tier of NFL teams drafting most years you know like you said that's the thing you you, you make 12 the more picks you make the more chances you have uh to hit on people and I, I always prefer 
not that it always works out just drafting the best athletes, but it's like a lot of football is one-on-one situations and you can screw something up. Can you make up for it? You're going to make mistakes. And so I like that too. And then just the fit of Richardson. I like that he's with the coordinator who's not going to put him in like a traditional box and it's like, hey, let's go spread, put you in shotgun, quarterback, run game. Uh, we'll, we'll gradually add to that in the playbook. But that theoretically should give your offense like a, a higher floor than some of these other quarterbacks when you're just like, hey, our run game should be top five next year because our quarterback's going to be a factor that's going to be hard to account for. We have Jonathan Taylor, and then if you get like average offensive line play, that's usually a recipe for a top five run game, and then you figure out the pass game stuff uh, after that. So uh, I, I think if you're a Colts fan, this, yeah, this, you're probably like, our lives stink. This is terrible. What is going on? Our owner is volatile and unpredictable. And now at the end of the weekend, all right. Take a deep breath. It worked out pretty well for you, all things considered. Oh, poor Colts fans with their their decade long <laughs> of elite quarterback play. Peyton Manning and uh, and Andrew Luck for for them. My team drafted a five ten quarterback who weighs one hundred ninety pounds. <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be great, Bryce Young. I mean, he's gonna be fantastic. The you should be happy too. I know you love Richardson. Bryce Young's gonna be awesome. I just needed to go on the record saying that. Now I'm doing a podcast. I think he's gonna be good. I think he's gonna be good. Okay. <laughs> Stephen's going through it. Uh, it lo- we're we're back around to the losers, right? I I yeah. snuck in my other loser because I I built up you the, snuck you know, in a, the another Kyler loser. Murray. So have, do you owe us a winner then, Shield? I owe you another winner. Yes. Do you want me to give you Play my winner us. now? Yeah, let's do it. I was debating between two teams. I'm trying to think of which one I gonna want to go with. You know what? I'll go with with the New York football giants. How about that? I haven't loved what they've done uh, this offseason with the stuff they face, but uh, they got Steven's boy. I don't know if he's your boy, but I know you're uh, you're a terp. So Deontay Banks, uh, I really liked his film going into the draft. I thought, wow, he's got all the athletic traits. Uh, He's six foot. He can pray play press, play man. We know Wink Martindale wants to do that. I thought he was sticky in coverage. I I thought that was a a fantastic pick in the first round. They take the center, John Michael Schmitz, who I'm not going to tell you I was grinding his film, but the O-line film grinders all seem to really like this guy and they need O-line help. And so now you have a center who theoretically can come in and give you an upgrade there. And then I know Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver, was kind of a polarizing prospect. Uh, I really liked him. I mean, I... I'm always in favor of just get the guy who can create explosive plays downfield. I don't care a lot about the other stuff. So he ran 4-4 uh, at the combine. He had over 1,200 yards last year, averaged 18.9 yards per reception, 20 catches of 20-plus yards last year. I know the Giants didn't throw downfield a lot last year. It was like a different version of Daniel Jones than we had seen previously, but part of that is personnel-driven. And so uh, even when the Giants were exceeding expectations last year, a lot of weeks you just look at what they had on the perimeter on both offense and defense and been like, oof, sheesh, they could really uh, use an upgrade there. And I thought they got an upgrade there on both sides of the ball. So uh, I thought it was a nice draft for for the Giants. Giants also weren't paying Daniel Jones $40 million a year last year. So... (laughs) I think they're That's hoping true. he might be able to do a thing or two that they were not regularly doing on offense um, last Good season. Point. And I, I like the Hyatt pick. I mean, I especially like it in, in round three, right, which is where they ended up getting him. Um, I think I would have liked it a lot less if it had come significantly earlier. But I, I'm g- glad you brought this up, Shield, because they had another they were another one of the teams where I liked their draft a lot. Um, Banks just seems like 
a very Wink Martindale type of pick and someone that they needed. I mean, particularly as that defensive line has turned into a real strength for them, what was missing was just just the back end. So position a need player who fits their style um, and then to be able to add to to the offense with the center and with Hyatt. Um, I think it's great. Yeah. Even yeah. if Hyatt just like runs in a straight line downfield, which is basically what he did at Tennessee in that offense. But even if he does that, that <laughs> provides a value that they didn't have last year. And it, it's kind of like along the same lines of uh, what Flowers will bring to Baltimore, where their run game really carried them and their option run game and not having that threat made it easier to defend them and to defend the run. Yeah. And then if if Hyatt is just a factor, he doesn't have to be a great player. He just has to be a, a player that the opposing team has to factor into their game plan. That's a win for them. And that's pick 73. It's not a reach, in my opinion. If they would have drafted him in the second round, I, I wouldn't have liked the pick. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of his tape, but you can't deny his speed and the fact that he can make plays downfield. Their wide receiver room is very confusing is the only thing that I would just just throw in here is like there was a scenario where say they'd ended up with like Quentin Johnson or something like there's a there's a world of this draft where the Giants add in a way where the roles become more clear. That doesn't really happen with Jalen Hyatt, but like they you know, I trust Dable. I'm sure they can figure that out. I but who is lining up where and how many slot receivers we can have on the field at, at any given time um, is the question I have about this team. But yeah, I still like it's a good it. question. It's a good question. Yeah. Wandale Robinson, Isaiah Hodgins, Harris Campbell, <laughs> Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Jameson Crowder. They have so many wide receivers. I just pulled up their depth chart. My goodness. What the training camp battles at at Giants camp with all these wide receivers. That'll be fun. It's it's an interesting mix. (laughs) Curious to excited to see how it works out. Hey, four (laughs) of them have to be good. Or three of them have to be good. Yeah, like statistically, right? You'd figure. Yeah. I guess we'll see. All right. Now it's my turn, right? I owe you guys a loser. I'm sorry, yeah. I've just completely lost the thread here. This is bad. This is bad execution of the board. I've lost control of the board. But uh, I had one other loser who... It's not that I think they lost control of the board. The board just didn't... This is like not... This is sort of... The board just didn't come to them. And that is the New York Jets, um, who I did not think had a particularly awe-inspiring draft. Uh, they took Will McDonald, a dresser from Iowa State, at 15. Um, I don't love the pick just because he's almost 24. He's undersized. I think if you're projecting players who can bulk up and and develop extra moves at the next level and, and deal with NFL caliber talent, I just I worry that he has not done that in the extra time to add weight, to add pass rush moves, blah, 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 blah. Um, More so than that, though, because, you know, teams know these guys better than I do and they have their own points of view and and whatever. More so than that, it just looks like they got kind of screwed because they had to go from 13 to 15 because the Aaron Rodgers trade. That put them behind the Patriots. Patriots then trade number 14 to the Steelers who take Broderick Jones, the tackle, who was probably who the Jets wanted. 
they had basically told everyone in the pre-draft process that they loved Broderick Jones and they were so into Broderick Jones. They really tackle as, as um, a clear need for them. And the tackles had been going off the board. Paris Johnson had gone to the Cardinals. Darnell Wright had gone to the Bears. Garansky had gone to the Texans. So that group was thinning out. And then the Steelers jump up and take Jones. And I think they just got sort of caught standing when the music stopped. Um, and the reason I think it's particularly unfortunate is because they're in such a tight race in the AFC East. Obviously, Rodgers moves the needle immensely for them and their roster is in good shape. But I don't know that I think the McDonald pick, as much as it's important to have rotational pass rushers in that defense, I'm not sure it moves the needle all that much. And then you look at the rest of the division. I'm going to leave the Patriots out of it just because I think they're the ones chasing. But I really liked the Bills draft. Um, I love the Dalton Kincaid pick there. I think he's going to fit in really, really nicely in that offense. And the Dolphins barely had any draft picks, but they still managed to get Devin A-Chain, who's like yet another player who can just score from anywhere there, right? So I I think there's a hyper-competitive three-team race in the AFC East. And if I had to pick a team that did not use their resources very well to push themselves forward in that, I think it's the Jets. Yeah, and I think like it's not just that they're in a tough race in the AFC East. They're in a, a race against time, basically, because you don't know when the Aaron Rodgers clock is going to expire. You don't. It could be yeah, next really offseason. It could be two offseasons. And I don't think they added players, which is hard to do in the draft, admittedly. But I don't think they added players that are going to help them win a Super Bowl next year. And maybe maybe that's too big of an ask, but I thought that should have been the goal. And they, they I don't even think they attempted to do that. And it's never a good sign when your first round pick, when he's asked about whether he was surprised if he went so early is like, yeah, I was surprised. I didn't go. I didn't expect to go before 20, which he did after the draft. That's like he gave them a bad grade. He's like, oh, they drafted me way too high. <laughs> it's like bad value. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it, uh, of what we were saying earlier about reading the board. I mean, I, I was watching uh, when I was watching the draft coverage today. Peter Schrager was uh, indicating that the Jets are very sensitive to this storyline that they got jumped by the Steelers for the player they wanted. I don't know. That's that's what it looked like to me. I'm with you, Nora. I think that's probably what if it was. If you're sensitive I don't know. about it, it means that that's what <laughs> yes. happened. You Good know what point. I'm not yes. sensitive about? Things that are just like not insecurities that haven't <laughs> happened in my life. I don't care when people bring that. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what a good example for that is. But like, yeah. it doesn't bother me. You know what right. bothers me is if like someone cuts to the core of your lived experience, <laughs> which seems like it's what's happening. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's right. So, I mean, that that's what it looked like on Thursday night. That's what it looks like now where they wanted to get one of those tackles. It didn't fall their way. Steelers jump in front of them. They end up not getting the tackle. I mean, I probably would have viewed their draft differently, honestly, if they would have got uh, Broderick Jones, because now it's a left tackle. It's a it's some it's an offensive lineman who can play right away, be good for you right away, and can who who theoretically could help you for years to come. So uh, we'll see. You know, maybe maybe one of these other guys they drafted what a tackle in the fourth round in Carter Warren. They used another uh, a second round pick on a center in Joe Tipman from Wisconsin. So. It could work out for them, but I'm kind of with you. I look at the their class and I'm like, ooh, that, that leaves me a little bit underwhelmed. At least they got Aaron Rodgers. 
All right. Does that, is that, have we gone through our selections here? Anything else? I think I have a loser. I've done so all of mine. Okay. Steven's got a loser. Okay, Steven, all right. Finish us out with the loser. Close us out. The final loser of the day. I was going <laughs> to pick Jacksonville as my loser because it was a very, I don't necessarily hate the players, but I thought they reached a lot and it was a very Trent Balky draft. And when Trent Balky's in control of things, it's never a good thing in my opinion, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick the Browns and I'm going to pick the Browns as a way of giving some props to the Steelers, a team that we didn't pick as a winner that I thought had maybe the best draft in, in, all the I was league. picking between them and the Giants. That was my when I said I'm picking between two Love teams. It. The other one was the Steelers. I thought they had a great draft. Yeah, they and I don't think they reached for anyone. They got Darnell Washington to fall to them. We already talked about them jumping the uh, the Jets and like going through. I'm picking the Browns because I thought the Ravens had a good draft. I think the Ravens had a lot like the last two weeks have been amazing. I thought the Bengals with the picks they had got really good value and, and players that are going to help them right away and help them get closer to winning a Super Bowl. And the Browns, because of the, the uh, Watson trade, didn't make a pick before round three. And then they end up with a developmental receiver in Tillman from Tennessee, who I don't think, I don't think his game is going to translate well to the next level. So I don't know if he's going to be a, a factor next year. I, I don't see impact players from the picks they did have and the rest of the NFC, AFC North got better. So I think they're a loser. They are, they, it, yeah, it, the identity there just is so messy and it's so like last year was so complicated and so just difficult with when Watson came back trying to get him integrated and, and up to speed there that like I almost wonder if they just sort of like don't don't know what they need don't know they obviously had very few draft picks to address that with but it, it, it I don't know what they're going to be next year the, yeah well th so it made me think of when the the Texans made the trade to go back up for Anderson at first there was all this stuff about like well is the first round pick next year is it their pick or is it the Browns pick and don't get me wrong I think it's probably worse that it's their pick but I was sitting there going it's bad in both cases <laughs> like I this doesn't look like a great what the the if it's the Browns pick it's going to be okay because the Browns are going to win a ton of games next year like I don't know that that's something that I would want to bet on um and it's a, a really good point that the rest of the division seemed like they made more significant strides. Now, they had the picks to do it with. So to some degree, that was going to be expected. But like, look at the Dolphins, right? They had very little in terms of draft capital, and they still managed to come out of it with at least a couple of players who, who were looking at and going, oh, you can I can see right now how that player is going to help this team in 2023 and it doesn't seem like Cleveland was able to able to do that. I mean, they've got to be feeling so much heat and pressure in that building. Think about what they did last offseason. Think of how bad that offense, the offense. If you just look at the statistical splits with Watson and Brissett, it's kind of wild to look at. I mean, Watson, there were 41 quarterbacks and I know stats don't always tell the whole story. 41 quarterbacks with at least 150 dropbacks. Deshaun Watson was 40th ahead of only Colt McCoy in EPA per play last year. I mean, the offense was functioning well with percent. I know that I think there was some bad weather. There was some weird stuff happening. And it's a small sample with Watson in six games. But if you were hoping for that to be, if you're a Browns fan, that to be something you kind of build on. All right, six games, get comfortable in the offense. You'll be good in 2023. Uh, that didn't happen. Think of what we're seeing with the quarterbacks around the league and the guaranteed money stuff. And no, no one is coming close to giving that type of guaranteed money 
to a quarterback uh, and now you have limited draft capital because of everything you gave up to get Watson, where what we talked about with the Colts, where you get 12 picks, guess what? You can miss on half of them and it's still a home run draft. Well, when you give up that much for Deshaun Watson, uh, you're not going to be able to do the same thing. So yeah, they and then to Steven's point about the division, I mean, the division uh, has gotten better. There's no doubt about it. You have the Bengals are a Super Bowl contender. The Ravens uh, now had a good offseason as well. And the Steelers uh, killed it with their draft. And the Steelers just don't finish under 500. So it's like, where do you land in that pecking order? What do you do if it doesn't fall your way in 2023? Owner, That's not a great ownership situation. What's his view going to be of it uh, if it doesn't go well? Uh, so yeah, that is, uh, I mean, that is a very interesting franchise to look at uh, with a lot at stake in this just one season, four months, weeks one to 18. They've got a lot, a uh, lot, lot on the line for sure. What did you like about the Steelers draft show? Uh, I just, I, I thought, uh, I thought they read the board. Well, like we mentioned, I mean, I thought that was a big move in the first round to know exactly where you need to get to, to get uh Broderick Jones. I thought that was good. I mean, Joey Porter, how can you not like the, uh, you know, uh, I, he wasn't like my favorite corner in this draft, but I'm like, uh, I just love that he went there and I feel like his physical tools, they'll get it out of him, uh, whatever he's going to be. And that's an, area of need. That's a premium position. That made a lot of sense to me. Keanu Benton, the defensive tackle from Wisconsin. I liked him a lot as a guy in kind of that 30 to 50 range that can come in and play right away. Like now you'll kind of look at their roster and we'll see with Kenny Pickett, but like there are uh, a lot of nice pieces there on that roster. They they signed Isaac Sayamalu, the guard in the offseason. Like their, their offensive line is going to be better. I, I really wish we had a Ravens situation where they looked at the offensive coordinator there this offseason and were like, maybe that's not working for us with Matt Canada. Let's make a change. Like if they did that, I would really be bullish on him. I I, I haven't liked just what I've seen uh, from their offense while he's been coordinating it. So I can't get too far down the road with them. But uh, roster wise, I really like what they've they've done this offseason and specifically in this draft. I don't mind them uh, keeping Matt Canada. I think it's going to be good for next year when they have a new quarterback. They can pair him with the new offensive coordinator. <laughs> I had to get one Kenny Pickett oh, joke in there. Steven. I know. <laughs> it, was, it was coming. We should have seen it coming. All right. I think that about does it. Um, like we said at the top, fun draft, guys. And always fun to... to to pod with the best in the business. This has been the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Pinciotti. They're Sheila Capati and Steven Ruiz. We will be back next week. Sheila, extra point taken coming Monday. Benjamin Solak, is that on? Extra point taken coming Monday. Me and Solak will have to come up with some new takes or, uh, you know, just recycle these ones. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Fantastic. Everybody can look forward to that. Uh, thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for production on this episode and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rambupal for additional production supervision. 